Good morning. Today I'll be preaching through Hosea as promised. And Hosea is, uh, how do I put this? Hosea is a very interesting story. Um, It is a story that brings um, to attention because of how drastic and how extreme um, that, that God uses Hosea in such an extreme way. And so if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to go through Hosea as we continue in the Minor Prophets. Um, So you'll find Hosea in the last 12 books of the Old Testament, and it is the first book of the Minor Prophets. Um, As we said, the Minor Prophets and the order of how the prophets are, are laid out in the Old Testament, it's not chronological. Okay, so Hosea actually doesn't happen first. Like we have a couple prophets that actually happened before Hosea, but Hosea is the first book found in the, in the Minor Prophets series. And so Hosea's name means salvation. So usually when, you, when we look at the names of our, our, our prophets, it kind of gives you a little bit of a, a thesis of what that book is actually about. And so Hosea, his name means self, salvation, and he spoke to the northern kingdom. And for those that weren't here last week, just a quick explanation. Israel, after Joshua brought them into the promised land, um, King David came through, King Solomon came. After King Solomon, the kingdom got split into two, to a northern kingdom called Israel and to a southern kingdom called Judah. The northern kingdom in Hosea is also referred to as Ephraim sometimes. And Ephraim is referred to Ephraim because Ephraim is the largest tribe in the northern kingdom. So sometimes when, when Hosea mentions Ephraim, he's actually talking about Israel. So it is, it, it's the same, same person, same, same country, same nation. So I don't want you guys to be like, oh, there's another third country named Ephraim. No, it's Israel, but Ephraim is the largest tribe in Israel. Okay? And so if we look at this, we know that the time of when Hosea happened was during around the same time as Amos, just shortly after, because the kings that were ruling are the same. So Uzziah for the southern kingdom, Jeroboam the second for the northern kingdom, right? And so, but we see that his ministry actually lasted beyond that. So it, it went through four kings. So you see this as Hosea, the book opens up, chapter one, verse one, we actually see these are the kings that were reigning during that time. Okay, so this gives you kind of a historical background of, of where we're coming from. This is all history. If we look at, if we look at um, the time that it was in, like Amos, Israel was in a very prosperous time. It was in a time where, where the relationships of Israel was good. All the neighbors they were at peace with, they weren't warring against, um, they weren't warring against Judah, there was... There's prosperity coming to the land. This is actually the fulfillment of God's promise to them. Like, I will bring you into the promised land that's flowing with milk and honey, and that prosperity and the blessing that comes is from me. And so Israel is living in this time of prosperity. This is what God has brought them into. But what happens is that sometimes when we are in a place that is good and that life is good, we start to rely on ourselves and So Israel was relying on themselves and their own selfishness and started making allowances and faith and idolatry started to creep in. So the idols of Canaan, the ones that they were supposed to wipe out, started creeping back in. So this is is the stage that is set for 
for that time. If you want to read more into it, I encourage you to. If you want to read about the chronology and what was happening during those times, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. This is where all the mi minor prophets kind of sort of fit in. That's the storyline, and then the prophets fit into those places. Okay, and so, so like I said, Israel's in prosperity. Life is good. Life is good. Israel's feeling good. They're, they're, they, they have prosperity. And if you were here for last week's sermon, we talked about Amos' message to them. And Hosea's message is very similar, but in, it's, it's portrayed in a very different way. Isn't it true that when life is good, start, God starts to take a backseat in our lives? That in the middle of our successes, in the middle of our prosperity, in the middle of, the, our, uh, of things going well, our hearts begin to fall away from God and we don't trust God and look to God for help anymore because we feel like we got this. So Hosea, like all the prophets in the Bible, his role as, his role as a prophet is to call out, this is God's message to my people. You have sin, so stop it. God is mad, and you need to repent. And if you repent, God will show you his mercy. That is the prophetic voices that echo throughout all the Old Testament, into the New Testament, and even into, into our, our society and culture today. And so that is Hosea. Let me pray, Let me, and, and then we will dive into the word here. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're doing. And Lord, we just ask for your spirit to come and take this story of Hosea, this obscure story, and may you reveal your heart, may you reveal your, your, your love, may you reveal just the, the goodness of who you are. So Father God, may the words that we read, the, the, the story that we're going to study, Lord, may this be a message of hope. May this be a message of good news, of the gospel that is given to us. So Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start you off with a story. You're invited to a wedding. It's a wedding of a good friend. It's a friend that you've always known to be a godly person, a godly man. He has the heart of God and he has favor with God. You look up to him. He has excellent rapport with the com community. He has excellent rapport with the church. He's gentle yet firm. He's good. He's a good man. He's someone that you could trust. He's a good friend. And you're invited to his wedding. And you're thinking as you go and attend this wedding is who is this lucky woman that's going to marry this man? You're sitting in the church. You're waiting. You see him standing in the front waiting for his bride. And you're excited for him. You're anticipating the bride. And as the wedding procession starts, you see the bridesmaids come through, the groomsmen are standing in front with him. The ring bearer, so cute, comes down with the little flower girl, setting the stage for this beautiful wedding. And as the officiant declares, here comes the bride, please stand, the doors open, and everybody looks at the bride, and the, and the bride is wearing nothing but black. You're taken back black dress what is this but once you take a look at her face you recognize her she is a woman that has a reputation in the community not a good one she's not the sweet church-going woman that you feel like your friend should be marrying 
but she is a harlot. She's an adulterous woman. She is a prostitute, or in some translations, she is a whore. How would you react to this wedding? You're probably thinking, what are you doing? Do you know who she is? What are you thinking? This is that story. This is a story of a prophet, Hosea, a godly man, a man that knows who God is, that has an intimate relationship with God, has a clear calling from God to say, you will be my messenger. And God calls him and tells him to marry a prostitute named Gomer. This is that story. This story reveals to Israel their relationship to God through the marriage of Hosea and Gomer. The book of Hosea, as if you have read it, you will find that the story sits in chapters 1 to 3 and from chapter 4 to 14. It is Hosea's poetry and calling out the prophetic words and the judgments of, of what God will do to Israel is that message of if you don't repent, you will fall. And if you don't repent, judgment will come on you. But yet it's mixed in with this, this aspect of God calling out, I love you, I love you, I love you. And it's the poetry of that, and it's all mixed into that chapter 4 to 14. And so when you look at the book of Hosea, I understand Hosea actually is actually a very hard book to read because it is so poetic in some sense. It's kind of like Job. It's kind of obscure, but yet God's mercy, his grace, his love comes out of it, but yet we see also his judgment and his wrath come upon his people. I will focus on the story aspect of Hosea today, and we're going to really focus on chapters 1 to 3. And I believe that if we understand this story, we're going to grasp the gospel that is laid out in this book. But first, let me take you through 4 to 14 a little bit because I want to lay out, this is Israel's, this is where Israel is standing right now. These are the sins that they are committing. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me. Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, it says this, God is speaking against Israel. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murdering, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. You shall stumble by day. The prophets also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me, and since you have forgotten the laws of God, I also will forget your children. God is talking to his people, his chosen ones, those that have ignored him. He says, I am giving you, I have given you all these things. I have delivered you from slavery, and yet you reject me. So therefore, I am rejecting you. After all that I've done, you still, referring to Israel, you still don't know me. If we go to Hosea chapter 6, Israel, it talks about how Israel is hard, is their, their heart is hardened. 
It says this, what shall I do with you, Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like dew that goes away early. He's talking about how Israel's love for God is like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's temporary. It does not last. It says like you are so interested in following something else that your love that you proclaim to me vanishes like a vapor. But not only that, he also says the things that you're chasing after, like your career, like your money, like your beauty, like all these other things that causes vanity, all of those things will vanish like vapor, yet you go and chase them, and you don't come to me, and your love for me is like a vapor. It's like a mist that disappears in the morning. And so therefore, his justice comes with that. He says, therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slayed them by the words of the mouth, and my judgment goes, before, goes forth as a light, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. This is knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What God is calling them out on, he's like, I desire a relationship, and I don't like religion. God says, I want you to know me. I want you to love me, not just go through the rituals of religion. You see, Israel wasn't, didn't completely abandon God. They understood and continued to follow the laws. They went to church, they tithed, they did all of those things. They came to worship, they offered their, their offerings unto the Lord, but God is saying, I don't care about those things because your heart is not with me. Your love for me vanishes like a vapor, and the things that you chase after, like money, like our careers, like our image, our beauty. Do you know that all of these things fade? That money could be lost, money could be made, and it could be lost in a split second. That your beauty, no matter how beautiful you are, no Botox, no makeup is enough to keep you beautiful. That all of these things will vanish. And so God's like, why are you chasing after all of those things? And yet your love for me is exactly the same. It just vanishes like mist. So first God says, you don't know me. Second, God says, you don't love me. And then if you go to Hosea chapter 13, it says this, but I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. And besides me, there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought, but then they grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their hearts was lifted up, so therefore they forgot me. God is saying that I am the Lord that delivered you. I delivered you from Egypt. I freed you from slavery. I brought you out of the wilderness into the promised land, and then when I brought you in, you grazed, you became full, you were filled, your hearts were lifted, and then you forgot me. God is saying, I did this, and I continue to be faithful to you, but you completely forget who I am. God's judgment and the seriousness of Israel's disobedience is this. The consequence of what Israel is doing gets emphasized in verse 7 says so I am like a lion like a leopard I will lurk beside the way I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs and I will tear open their breast 
and there I will devour them like a lion as a beast would rip them open. That's the wrath. That's the consequence of the sin. That's the consequence of forgetting who God is. I am your deliverer. I am the one that brought you out of all of these things. I've chosen you. And yet you leave me, so you leave me no choice but to devour you and death shall become upon you. God is basically saying that I am God and I will not be mocked. So this is the people of Israel. And now we look at the story, the gospel story that is in Hosea. When you read through chapters 4 to 14, and I encourage you to read through it, and I encourage you to, to kind of study it. It is very poetic in very many ways. So it is, I, I do understand, it may take a little bit to, to kind of come into that understanding. But God is calling Israel on their sin. God, in some ways, is calling us out on our sin. But God is also calling Israel back in love. So let's go to Hosea chapter 1. Verse 2, it starts off with this. It says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. So Hosea is called out to live out this tragedy of Israel's unfaithfulness by marrying a prostitute. Nobody ever dreams of marrying a prostitute. No matter how much the movie Pretty Woman tries to glamour this up, you see, the Pretty Woman is actually not a fresh idea for a movie. It happened in the Bible first. No matter how much Hollywood tries to paint this picture, this picture of Hosea being called to marry Gomer illustrates to us the relationship of God and Israel as God being Hosea and Israel being Gomer, the prostitute. Because in the eyes of God, everyone who forsakes the Lord is a prostitute. The reality is this. In life, you're either faithful to God and you, therefore you have an intimate relationship with God and only God can satisfy you. Or you go and chase everything else and you get your kicks and your joy and your, your love and your peace from everything else but God. That's a human condition. Whether you believe this is true or not, there are actually only two ways. Just two ways. Two paths in life that we walk. One is with God, the other is not. You are either faithful to God or you are not. There isn't this aspect of living halfway. But God is calling us out on that. He's calling out the church. He's calling out Israel that you commit idolatry and because of that idolatry, you are a prostitute. You are a harlot. You are a whore. You are everything that is not nice, that is ugly, and that is, that is grotesque. This is what Hosea and the story is about. If we continue reading Hosea, then 
and Gomer have a son. It says, Hosea has a son, and the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put on the end of the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So God calls him to name his son Jezreel. Now you need to know a little bit of biblical history to find out what this is actually referring to. And this is referring and reminding the people of the fury of Jehu. This is a former king of Israel. This is found in 2 Kings. And so Hosea is referring back to that. He's, and Jehu was called to destroy the family of who? Ahab. Ahab is Jezebel's husband, and they are promoters of Baal worship. Elijah was actually the prophet during that time and who prophesied during that time. All of this is found in 2 Kings, okay? But what Jehu did is beyond killing the family of of Ahab, which God called him to do, he goes and he kills Joram and he goes and he calls Amaziah and the 70 sons of Ahab in the valley of Israel. The execution of the Baal worship and the servants was in accord with what God told them to do. However, the attack on Joram, which is the house of David, was not. But what Jehu did was he went beyond that call of, of, of what God called them to do, and he claimed God's sanction for doing it. That heavy-handed, reckless sin that Jehu committed in the valley of Jezreel is what this is referring to. It is that spirit that was behind it that Israel is still in and that violence and that unfaithful treachery is what this first son stands for. What it stands for is the sin of pursuing their own agenda and their own goals and changing their concept of God in the process because it was too painful to have a real God around. This is not just a message for Israel, but this is for the, for the church today. That sometimes what we do in our church, and I'm talking about the universal church here, is that we cling to our own purposes and we fit our own purposes into what God has for us. We like to water down the gospel in a way where we come to a place of understanding this God is too hard, so therefore I don't want to worship this God. I want to worship a God that is under my, that fits under my purposes and my goals. We want to fit God into our box and not come to worship God for who he is and come to an understanding that God is purely love and all that he does and all that he commands is only in love. But yet we feel like that love is too harsh and so we as a church decide that we're going to promote a different type of love that is more accepting. But God says That is a sin. This is the reason why this first son is called Jezreel. Gomer then goes and conceives again. But this time it doesn't actually say that this is from from Hosea. It's a daughter. But we just know that God's like, okay, Gomer conceives another daughter. I want you to name her Lo-Ruhama, which means not love, no pity, No compassion. This is to say that God will have no more pity on Israel. There will be no longer forgiveness. 
It actually, actually says that God will do this to Israel, but he will have compassion on Judah. And we're going to see that later. And it says, because you have chosen to not know God and not remember that I have delivered you and that I have chosen you and that I have given you all that you have and you, yet you deliberately sin so I can no longer have pity with you. I can no longer have compassion on you. And then Gomer once again conceives a son. Again, doesn't say it's Hosea's son. It's just another son. And he was called Loami, not my people. For Israel is no longer my people. I am disowning them because you have not chosen me. The three kids of Hosea was to give Israel a picture of where they stand with God. Yet God still gives hope. In verse 10, right after that, it says, Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And all the place that there was said to them, You are not my people. It shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. God continues, even despite the state that Israel is in, despite the place that Israel has chosen to be, that God says these judgments are not the last words. Yes, that judgment is coming, and we see that further down the line that God will bring a restoration after that judgment. We do see that the northern kingdom will be under the Assyrian rule and that the northern kingdom will be lost. But yet the people of Israel will be like the sands of the sea. That, that Israel will still not be eliminated. See, God may place judgments for a season. He will even allow some generations to fall into judgments and consequences of their sin. But he will not give up on his people. Do you know that God will not give up on you? Do you know that his wrath and judgment has now been paid and that's because God never gives up on you? That he loves you. God tells Hosea to marry a prostitute to symbolize the act and act of God's relationship to Israel with the three children symbolizing God's judgment and unfaithfulness that Israel has. Yet there is a promise that is given that one day the judgment will be reversed. Chapter 2 goes on and says, and talks about this is what Gomer has done. These are the sins that she has committed. And chapter 2 is this, how it's written. It is this way where it's about Gomer and Hosea and how the relationship between Hosea and Gomer, but it's also God and Israel. So we see this, this poetry that's happening and it's both. It's both Gomer, it's both Hosea to Gomer and God to Israel. And so if we look into chapter 2, it talks about how this is what, this is the sins that Gomer has committed and she actually deserves what is to follow. And yet God calls Hosea to get Gomer back. But before we go there, I want to skip over a little bit. I want to go to chapter 3 first because I want to end up in chapter 2 because chapter 2 has this beautiful love poem and I want to end with that. So let's go to chapter 3. We see that Gomer actually has left Hosea and she has run off and, and now he, she's living with another man. 
She's left her family. She's committed adultery. And according to the laws, Hosea is actually free. Because according to the laws, if your spouse has committed adultery, you are free to divorce him or free to divorce her. And so in this place, Hosea is actually free. She could divorce her and the marriage. Hosea should be like, okay, I'm done. I did my part. But no, God would not give up on Israel. And he, his aim is for Hosea to symbolize his undying love to his wife. So verse 1 from chapter 3, it says, And the Lord said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. That's a weird term, isn't it? I had to look this up because I'm like, what? <laughs> love cakes of raisins? It was, yeah, so... Out of all of the translations and everything, it really comes down to the translation of worship of other gods. But it really made me think of my wife because my wife hates raisins. Anything with raisins in it, she's just like, this is disgusting. So in some ways, my wife is holier than me. <laughs> but God says, go love her again, Hosea. Go get her back. Gomer has been faithless and has committed an adultery and she is already with another man. Not only does the law say that, that Hosea could leave her, the law actually says that the consequence of adultery is what? Is by stoning of death. You can see that in Jesus' story with the stoning of, of, of the adulteress. That that is the law. The law says that Gomer, what she deserves is death by stoning. He says, go love her again. But not only go and love her again, but to pay this man for her price as a slave, go and pay whatever the cost is, go and get her back. Pay whatever the price is, everything. Hosea, as it was laid out, he pays 15 shekels of gold and barley because he doesn't have enough money to pay the debt. So he pays it out with everything he has. He gives absolutely everything that he has to win his wife back. Does she deserve this? No. This is a picture of God coming after you. That no matter the cost, he will win his people back because that's how much he loves them. That's how much he loves you. He will pay whatever the price, no matter the cost, even at the cost of his son to die on the cross for us, he will pay it so that he could win his people back. This is his promise, not only for Israel, but also for this church today. His promise is that he wants you. In 1 Peter 2, it says this, it says, but you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the gospel of Hosea, that God will do everything to win you back, to bring you back to him, even though you have chosen sin. The price is paid. You just need to choose him back. See, God is motivated 
by his love for you. God loves you so much that he doesn't see the rebellion that you are in. I want to bring you back to chapter 2. Starting in verse 14. We see three things that Hosea does for God. Hosea does for Gomer. And God does for Israel. And it's this, this deep love that is portrayed starting in, in, in verse 14. It says, therefore, behold, I will allure, allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to, to her. The first thing is that God will draw us back. That he comes to you first. He comes to you to bring you back. He wants to woo us. He wants to speak tenderly to us. We are the guilty ones and have gone out to love other things other than God, yet God does not cast us away, but promises to take us, to be alone with us, to speak tenderly to us, so that he can speak to our heart. He knows that you're not clean. He knows that you're a prostitute, but that is not how God sees you. He does not see the ugly. He does not see the rotten. He only sees his creation and he only sees his children. He only sees his people. He only sees the chosen ones. That God draws us back. He woos us. He comes speaks tenderly. He speaks to your heart. The second thing is that God promises her safety. In verse 15 it says, and there I will give her vineyards and make the valleys of Achor a door of hope and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. God sings that I will restore you and not only that if you, the, the aspect of Achor you have to remember we just spoke about this just a couple months ago. This is in the story of Joshua where Achor is actually the first place where Israel sinned against God where we remember a man named Achan went and took more than he was supposed to take and because of that they lost the, the, the battle of Ai, right? So this is referring back to that that, that that Achor will no longer be the valley of trouble but a door of hope that God, not only does he call you back, he takes everything that you've done, all the wrong, all the sin, all of that stuff and he brings restoration he refreshes, he renews, he takes what was bad and turns it into something that is good. He takes the brokenness that we have in our heart and in our spirit and he's just like, let me make it new again. Let me bring restoration into that place. Let me bring healing. Let me restore a new meaning into that place. And then we continue, we work, let's work down to verse 18 here. It says this, and I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the fields, the, the birds in the, of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war of the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. What God is providing is an aspect of paradise. He's talking about bringing back everything into unity. Where he crea- when he created Eden, everything is in unity. There's a paradise that's, that was there. And God's like, when you, I, I will bring you back in. Not only am I going to bring you back 
and to speak to you, to speak to your heart. I will restore things, but I want to bring you into my paradise with me. I want to bring you into that right relationship with me. I want to bring you back into that place where you find paradise with God. That first place of creation, brand new, refreshed. From the beginning, Garden of Eden, that's what God wants to bring us back to. Right relationship. No separation of sin. Verse 19. He goes on and says, And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and in mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. The third thing is he, that he's going to renew his vows with us, that he wants to bring us back into the right relationship of marriage. The right the right foundation to be right again that he even though that we chose our life and we chose our actions and we chose other things than God that he could bring new relationship of what righteousness justice steadfast love mercy and faithfulness and then it ends up with you shall know that you shall know me you shall know the Lord and this aspect of knowing isn't just a head knowledge of, oh, I know God, but it's an intimacy. It is actually the same word that, that, that God used in, in Genesis where it's like Adam knew his wife, that God knows you, that there is no nothing, nothing that takes away, there's nothing held back. It's a perfect fellowship. It is a communion with him. This is... Like the prodigal son, the story that's completed, this is the relationship of Eden restored. This is how God comes to us. He is the one that offers himself to us first when he calls us to repent. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the restoration that comes with righteousness restored. God loves you that much. God loves you so much that even out of your sin, even out of your choices that you have made, that deserves death, that deserves wrath, that deserves judgment, God says, let me bring restoration through my son, which will pay the price. That when Jesus died on the cross, that the righteousness of Jesus came upon you as you accepted his salvation. That God no longer sees you as a prostitute. That God no longer sees you as ugly and broken and dirty. That God only sees the holiness of Jesus upon you. That's the price that God paid for you. Remember that live in that place because if you live in that place, you will understand how to relate to God in the proper way and not just live out of rituals and religion and going through the motions of church and Christianity, but because you see Jesus Christ and Jesus on the cross and that his righteousness is on you, that dictates your relationship to him. Then Hosea, at the end of chapter 14, because Hosea wasn't written by Hosea. It was written by another author. He says this, whoever is wise, 
Let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. God is using Hosea to portray to us the, 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 the position of our heart. He wants to outline and bring out this aspect of how do you live and how do we live. So when he calls out Israel, I believe it is the same message that he's calling out the church today and saying, come back to me in right relationship and look at everything that I've done for you. That's his message. It's, my, it's God's love poured into your life. It's God saying, come back to me. It's God saying, I paid the price for you. I love you. I care about you. I want to bring you into right relationship. So do you understand these things? Are you discerning of these things? Are you discerning of the way that the Lord wants you to be? God is calling you specifically today. He's calling you to come back into that place of right relationship. And he wants you desperately like a husband wants his wife. Like Hosea chases after Gomer. That's how God is coming after you. Let's pray. Father God, we experience your love. We come to a place of just understanding who you are and your deep, deep love for us. That you see past the ugliness, that you see past the dirtiness, that you see past the brokenness, and you send your son Jesus and bring back holiness. So Father God, we just come in full repentance. And we turn to you and chase after you, knowing that you love us this much. So Lord, we ask for your forgiveness of turning away from you. And we ask for your mercy and grace to fall upon us so that we come freely to you knowing that we're in right relationship with you. Lord, we give you honor, we give you praise, we give you all our worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.